I'm Mike Vardy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy, and with me on the show this week is Jordan Bauer. He is a strategic storyteller. Uh, he teaches people how to share their stories, how to make their stories have a, a lasting impact. He works with teams, he works with individuals, and he's got a great story unto a, for himself that he would love to share with you. And this podcast, we talk a bit about that. We talk about a whole bunch of things, the hero's journey. We talk about storytelling in general. We talk about some of the reasons that why we may not tell our best stories and what can get in the way. But we'll just get into the discussion right now because I don't want to give everything away. So here is my conversation with Jordan Bauer on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Jordan Bauer to the Productivityist Podcast. Jordan, thanks for joining me this week. Mike? so much fun to be here. So we had a chance to, uh, about a month ago, uh, run into each other at social media camp, um, which was great because uh, we got actually got to have some face-to-face conversation, which um, I think I definitely want to dive into the idea of face-to-face conversation versus, you know, kind of the, the virtual conversation that we're having right now. It was, it was great to meet you. And, and I want to kind of have you do a bit of an introduction to yourself here for some of the listeners because you are a strategic storyteller. You're a storyteller, so who better than to tell your own story than you? So if you don't mind kind of giving, uh, I'll say Cole's notes because we're Canadian, Cliff's notes for the Americans, but give our listeners a bit of a, a, a Cole's notes version of who you are and what you do. Sure. So once upon a time in a faraway land, <laughs> <laughs> a dragon and a crane. No, 
Um, I'm based in Victoria, and my business is working with people, meaning brands, leaders, and teams, to help them understand and apply the ancient concept of storytelling. And my my ethos or my kind of motivating passion behind this is that I notice that most people don't really understand what a story means, especially in these days, which is so um, so social media heavy. Everyone's all about story, story, story. This piece of content is a story, story, story. Snapchat, story, story, story. But what I teach when I lead workshops and I speak is that a story is actually a relationship between three things, the storyteller, the audience, and the particular piece of content that's being shared. And in that one insight, there's a whole world of depth. And the way I got to this depth was I have spent my entire life talking to many, many, many diverse people. I've been fortunate enough to travel all over the world. I've spent about two and a half years gallivanting around India, which was a fantastic, fascinating, and growth-provoking experience. And the kind of biggest claim to fame that I have is that uh, in a number of years ago, I ended up walking by myself down the west coast of America from Canada to Mexico. As I did this crazy, epic, life-changing journey, I ended up meeting thousands of people and talking to people about relationships and story. And so that seed, that kernel is what uh, ultimately has grown into the work that I do today. Now, when you're talking to teams, a lot of them kind of get caught up in the objective work. Like, what is our objective? Let's move this forward, go as fast as we can. It's about a lot of the culture of speed tends to put us in this. Let's deliver, deliver, deliver. And sometimes quality suffers. How do you get teams and, and companies and, and, and people that are in, in those kind of environments to slow down? Because I, I can only imagine that you can't tell a story in a strategic way or even in a, in a really compelling way initially without, you know, kind of breathing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, the way you deliver a story is as much a part of the story as the story itself. And I think that one little thing is something most of us brush by. If we're one of these people who are caught up in, I have a million things to do, I've got to get them all done by five o'clock yesterday, I'm rushing, I'm rushing, I'm rushing, then of course the work that we do is going to contain that same feeling. And it might not be a literal emotion in this sense, but the spirit that we're putting into the work is going to be in the results. And, and sometimes that's necessary. We need to get something done. There's a deadline. But if we make our lives based on this idea that everything needed to get done yesterday and I'm just trying to rush by it, then we're literally rushing by the, the lives of our work. And so, so much of what I do when I go in and work with groups is create spaces where we feel safe and comfortable enough to come and slow down into what we're doing. And I know I live in Victoria, and so this can have that West Coast touchy-feely side of it. And so for those people who don't live on the West Coast, I apologize in advance. But I do think it's, it's important to remember that the process of storytelling takes time. And as you dig into a story, you might ultimately come up with a great headline or a great 30-second ad spot or a great 500-word blog post. But the effort has gone through really working through what you want to say and how you want to say it. And once you've done that work, you can condense it back into something that's tight, succinct, and ultimately much more effective than kind of first draft content. How do you get people to focus on intention uh, when it comes to this kind of thing? Because, I mean, you, you, one of the things you talk about, and again, I'll link to this in the show notes, is the idea of 
paying attention to the short-term needs of problems, but yet working towards a long-term goal. And that's where I think the incongruency lies for a lot of people. They get stuck in the day-to-day and they don't think beyond, you know, the next day, week, month, you know, they don't think that far down the road. So how do you get people to kind of look at their intentions and then pay attention to those so that they're moving the ball forward? I mean, because really every day you're telling a story, right? Yeah, I was about to say that. Like Our lives, our stories, who we are, how we relate to each other, what's going to happen tomorrow. Of course, there's a certain amount of choice and there's there's a certain amount of randomness and evolution and all of these things that exist. But to a, a stunning degree, we see certain things based on what we're conditioned to see. We see this in business, we see this in marketing, but we also see this in our interpersonal lives. That we go out into the world and I say, I this is the set of things that is acceptable to me and this is the set of things that is unacceptable to me. And ultimately, I'm going to see more of the acceptable stuff than the unacceptable stuff. And sometimes the unacceptable stuff is the things we don't want to look at, like poverty or people lying on the streets or like climate change or some of these big things. And, and sometimes the unacceptable stuff is our own personal success. It's often really hard for us to conceive of ourselves as being successful or achieving that vision that we set out for ourselves. And so the tasks that we're doing on a regular basis tend to be our own kind of distraction from our inner world, our bodies, our hearts, our emotional being saying, hey, remember that promise that you made to me three months ago, six months ago, three years ago, 10 years ago? Why aren't we doing anything about that? And so the busyness in this sense can often be construed as escapism. We'd rather be busy. We'd rather think about anything other than what we really need to think about. So my process is, like I say, slowing down, but in a, in a more specific sense, it's about creating spaces where people feel trusted, where people feel validated to do things that they might, that might be conceived as wrong or failures, and to create kind of this, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about this beginner's mind concept, mm-hmm. where you go into something and you say, uh, you know, I've never done this before, so I apologize in advance because I'm probably going to do it wrong. And I think that that mentality is so important these days because we're all learning new things all the time, new web tools, we're meeting new people, we're seeing new opportunities in an ever-changing marketplace. The, we all seem to agree that technology is changing the world faster than ever before, but for some reason, we don't give ourselves permission to be changing faster than ever before. So I think that's part of what that incongruency is about. Do you agree? Totally, totally. I, I think that what happens is is that we... We have the wrong idea of what present means, if that makes any sense. Do you know what I mean? Like people are saying, I'm present in the moment, but there very few people, I wouldn't say slow down, but they, 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 don't, they don't think about it. They just, again, it, it, productivity, and this is in my line of work, it's all in, in their mindset, it's about speed and about efficiency and about keeping busy, like that badge of honor of I'm busy, which really, I mean, I often will say like busy is like the F word. If you say it often enough, it holds a little power, right? You know, if you, if you drop an F-bomb every once in a while, uh, you know, very rarely rather, people are going to say, whoa, what's going on there? But if you use it consistently, then it has no power left. And that's kind of what's happened with this word busy. But the idea of, um, I think, and this is where I, where I want to touch on the idea of reflection, because people are always looking ahead, but I don't think they're looking too far ahead. They're just trying to get through the day. And the problem with that is that all you'll ever do, in my mind, is just get through the day, right? I, I hear that. And then I also want to sometimes, or I, I often want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Mm-hmm. When you ask people, when you put people on the spot, do you really just want to get through the day? No one will ever say, yes, that's what I'm trying yeah. to do. I'm just trying to speed to <laughs> no. the weekend. Yeah. 
but but maybe people don't feel safe to say what they really want. Maybe they feel disempowered. Maybe there's a sense of helplessness. It's, or, yeah, it's unrealistic to think beyond the day because there's so many things on their plate that they need to do today. And they, and they haven't taken the time to identify whether that's really the case or not. It's just the expectation. It's the I, story. It's the story they've been told. There's a great Gandhi quote. I apologize to quote Gandhi in the air. <laughs> I'm such a West Coast hippie. I apologize. But Gandhi said, every day I meditate for one hour, except on days when I have a lot to do. And then I meditate for two hours. Yep. And that's it's beautiful, right? Because... Our ability to stop and to see what's really important versus what's not really important is our ability to be an adult in a situation because the world will always throw new things, new opportunities, new challenges at you. And when we're younger, that's exciting is is constantly being stimulated by the fantasy of new opportunity. But I think I'm experiencing this as I get older and I wonder if you are too, that you have to become more discerning, more steadfast about these are the things that I want to do. These are the things I don't want to do open to certain opportunities, but also a little bit more focused in where your efforts are in order to get the deeper rewards. And I think you need to be more direct, too. It's funny. I've been listening to Scott Adams' book, uh, How to Fail. It's his failure book. And he talks about the idea of of wording that you can use to kind of cut off conversations. It's persuasion, right? And he says, one of the things you – if someone asks you to do something uh, and you don't want to do it, don't give a reason. Just say, I'm not interested. Or I don't do that, you know. Um, so one of the examples, he says, oh, we've got this food festival that we'd like you to come to or whatever. You could say, I don't do food festivals. You don't really need to give a reason behind it. But if you have that boundary there, and I'm big on boundaries at, because what boundaries do is they, they remove friction, right? You know, uh, there's this great Jack Canfield quote that I throw around quite a bit. 100% is a breeze, 99% is a bitch. <laughs> you know, nice. once you open that door just a little bit, then – your brain goes, well, I'll make an exception here. I'll make an exception there. And then all of a sudden the exception becomes the, you know, the, the rule rather than the other way around. So I think that um, for me, it's really important. Yeah. To and, and as I get older, because I think what happens when you get older is wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge start to intersect a bit more, right? You can – and that's because of experience and patience comes into play and, and all that stuff. But I have, I have far um, – I have far less of a problem telling somebody, look, I can't do this or I won't do this than I did even five years ago. Yeah. And, and perspective, I think, is the other piece of that. Mm-hmm. Because now you say, hey, you know, I'm doing these things. Work is a really important part of our lives and it's not the only part of our lives. And it doesn't mean in any sense to diminish that. I don't want to say you shouldn't work. I don't want to say you should go sit on a beach in, in Mexico for the rest of your life or anything like that. But I want to say that we all have working lives, we have interpersonal lives, we have family lives, we have community lives. And one of the challenges of being a working adult is moving between each of those domains and finding balance. And it's not realistic to be a superhero in every one of those domains. It's just that's not there's not enough of you to do that. Do you believe in the term balance? Because I, I, when it comes to work-life balance, it's something I struggle with. I don't really – I mean I struggle with the term. I mean I know, I, I'm more of a belief – and I think a lot of people will say this is that work-life integration because there's so much of – especially I guess with what I do. I mean it's part of who – it's a, it's interwoven of the fabric of who I am. You know, I, I'm not saying that uh, – I, I think when you say balance, what it is like which side – which scale is it tipping towards? How difficult is it to keep this thing balanced? Where if it's integrated, it's interwoven throughout my like my story basically. So for example, Saturday, uh, you know, um, we were at social media camp. 
I'm not on the stage for any of this. And, so, and people see me there and someone was introduced to me and they said, oh, you're a productivity guy. I have some questions about this. Now, I have a choice here. I could do one of two things. I could be, you know, here are my coaching rights. Like I could be that guy, right? Or I could be someone who shares, you know, strategically without, you know, giving everything away, but giving enough away. Or I could just be, you know, talking ad hoc about it and and not caring uh, I, either way. It's part of who I am. I, I love the term integration, or even I, I call it harmony at this point. I think work, harmony is one of my three words for the year is to have harmony because it's kind of like having a tapestry. You can take and remove things, but it doesn't disrupt the overall tapestry of your life. Um, you know, if you add too much, it gets a little bit crowded and convoluted. If you take away, you know, it's still a nice looking picture. Uh, so when you mentioned balance, I'd be curious to see how you define it or how you explain it to others because some people, it's such a buzzword and it gets, it can get a bad rap because of that. One of the exercises I do when I facilitate workshops is this exercise called backcasting. And I love it because it's the opposite backcasting as opposed to forecasting. And, and I love it because it reminds us that when, when we're here in the moment, in this whatever incarnation we're in right now, we actually don't know anything about what it's going to be like five years from now or mm-hmm. 10 years from now or 20. Tomorrow, we have a pretty good sense of how things are going to be. Next week, yeah, more or less things are going to be the same. But there's a perspective that's coming down the line that, we, that hasn't arrived here yet. So there's this tension between, okay, I want to plan. I have a sense for where I'm going. I have a sense for where I, I am trying to get to. And this, with this part of us that says, I actually have no idea where I'm going. I'm on this really mysterious journey. And as much as I'm trying to be in control and guide it forward, I'm stuck with the fact that I don't really understand the whole big thing. And, and to pull that back to storytelling, that's been the traditional role of story for so long when you think about mythology and myth, is that in these great epic stories, they've helped to give us as the audience a sense for the way that we tend to transform over life and the kind of signals that we can find along the way that are going to say, hey, you know, my, my plan says go left, but there's this thing tickling inside of me that for some strange reason says this guy who's coming up to me to ask for coaching advice is somebody worth taking that extra five or ten minutes to talk to. And so I believe on one hand, yeah, make a policy, say you're going to be, say you're going to act in a certain way, but also be open to feeling something within yourself that's going to say, oh, maybe time to shift. Mm-hmm. And that for me is the balance. Yeah, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, you're, you, when you walked from the the Canadian, where were you? Were you in Vancouver? Is that where you started? Yeah, I started in Vancouver. I took the ferry to uh, Vancouver Island. I walked yep. to Victoria. Mm-hmm. And then I took the ferry to Port Angeles, Washington, and then walked the rest of the way down the West Coast. Wow. So when you did that, I find, I mean, walking is such a huge, uh, you must have, I mean, you must have had a lot of time to kind of think about what you wanted to do, what was going, like, what was going through your mind? Do you have like moments of this is largely what went through my mind or was it ebbs and waves? And then secondly, how did you, like, did you capture that stuff as you went? Like if you had a, a, a profound thought, did you immediately write it down? Did you just kind of, or did you follow the whole, you know, let it go. And if it comes back to me kind of thing, it, it must be of value. Like, how did you, how did you process that along the way? Well, it's, they're good questions. The, to the first question, I would say the one thing I learned is that I never stop thinking. <laughs> right? People say, well, what, what do you think about for a year? It's like, well, what do you think about for a year? You think about the weather. You think about what weather. Oh, it just got cold right now. And oh, there's a breeze that went by. And oh, there was that person that I met before that I'm still thinking about. 
you think about deep stuff, you think about superficial stuff, my feet are hurting. No, it's like a year of thoughts. And if you, if you actually had the wherewithal and the capability to sit down and, and type out a year of thoughts, you would learn some really crazy things about yourself. A number of which are that there are all these thoughts inside that, that are countervening your kind of intention, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or like, like, here I am and I'm trying to do this very basic thing, which is put this bag on my back and then walk across the country. It's not very sophisticated. But in between that, there's all these things that I thought about and experienced and that turned these, threw these curveballs at me that meant I turned right as opposed to turning left. And all these consequences came out of that. And so if anything, I really got to understand the structure of my thoughts and the relationships of my thoughts to the way that they, things made me feel. And from there, if you go even deeper, you can say, well, if I think certain things, then I tend to, do, to receive certain consequences. If I go into a situation with a stranger and I act in this way, then these are the types of things that start to, to be the results of that. So if I'm aloof and kind of feeling like I'm better than somebody, then I'm not going to create a lot of kindness and support. But on, on the other hand, if I go in as really needy, then I get taken advantage of sometimes. So I found myself often calibrating well, who am I and how do I figure out what the balance of who I am in any moment is and, and then use that to inform how I acted in the next moment and then in the next moment, if that makes sense. Totally. And that, the second question yeah. I forgot. <laughs> no, no, this is good because, I mean, it leads uh, – so the second – capturing your thoughts like did you journal, for example? Yeah, so at the beginning, my intention was to go out and do a photo blog. This was 2010, so Instagram was still nascent. People were still not – like social media, Facebook was a thing, but the, the level of engagement and – um, integration into people's lives was still still just starting. I took a phone, but I didn't take a data plan just to give you a sense for where I was in the time. Partially, not because I couldn't have, but because I still felt like what I wanted to do was something separate from technology. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I committed to taking a photograph and writing about my experience on a daily basis. Sometimes both, sometimes just a photograph Sometimes a photograph and, uh, and or, or like a little piece, a little line or a one-liner about where I was at. But the trouble I found was that the further I walked, and the fur- deeper I went into myself, the more difficult it was to talk about what I was experiencing. Because I had this very clear awareness of who my audience was, meaning friends, family, my parents. And I started to have all these experiences that felt, in, in a very real sense, taboo. And it didn't mean that they were all naughty, not safe for work experiences, but it was me starting to play with the boundaries of what I thought about myself. Before I was this guy, I had graduated with a business degree and I had worked for a couple of years and then decided I wanted to go be a vagabond. And so I had traveled and I had done all of these things, but I didn't really have my, my, my stuff together in terms of figuring out what my identity was in the world, how I was going to make money. And in a certain sense, like many of us in our 20s, I was like, forget all of that stuff. I don't need that. I'm like fine on my own as long as I got my bag in my back. I was like Christopher McCandless and Into the Wild. Mm-hmm. And as I started to run into like, whoa, that's actually creating a lot of problems for me, then, then that was the stuff that felt the most difficult to capture and to, to share with the world. And so even though I did journal and take lots of photographs, to this day, I still haven't really done anything with it because it's hard to find the balance between the photograph that I shot and then the experience that was built around that photograph, if that makes sense. Totally. Totally. I, I like how you mentioned the, the, the into the wild. We talked vagabonding. That's uh, Rolf, Rolf Potts wrote a whole book about that too, which is, which is interesting. But I, I just want to say to that one more point, 
that sometimes with a photograph, you know, especially when we live in an Instagram world, we get so engaged with the beauty of a photograph or the kind of ability to transport us to somewhere different. But I know, and we all know first person that, you know, you can take a gorgeous picture, but if you move your camera an inch to the right or Mm -hmm. an inch to the left, then the whole context changes. And that was something I was really experimenting with was how does changing my perspective, the perspective of my camera, change the context of what this means? Because it's hard, right? It's hard for any of us to really share what's happening inside of us and in our story uh, in, in these brief snippets of content that we're putting out on social media all the time. It's hard to get the depth. You just kind of get the surface level of, oh, this was what I was looking at and not what it means. Do you know who Mike Rohde is? He's the guy who found uh, the sketch note guy. So he does sketch noting, um, which I find fascinating. I, I've, I've got both of his books and I, I love pen and paper. I love to, to capture. I mean, you saw that I showed you when we were at uh, social media camp. I pulled out my notebook. Yeah, we were totally. talking about that. Um, and I'm taking notes as we as we do this. Uh, Mike Rohde, uh, he's kind of the the uh, he wrote the sketch note handbook and the sketch note workbook. Do you find that that was that? Did you do any of that during your walk? Do you do that as part of the storytelling exercise and the workshops that you do? Like, how important is that graphical? Because I think for me, having like you said about the, shifting the image just slightly changes things. Um, there's something about physically writing down stuff or even physically capturing it in some kind of graphical representation that you've crafted that you know really can have an impact on what you're doing and what the story that you're telling i think it's less about it being graphical and more about it being tactical fair point so when you're when you're actually engaged with making this stuff and touching stuff you have a different represent or a different relationship to things than Mm -hmm. when you're just looking at things and i think about this a lot because the most common word we use to describe our relationship with the web is scrolling you know, when you think about what scrolling means, scrolling is like cruising or like passing by things. Right. Whereas when you're touching something, it, it's, it's undeniable what you're touching. You're touching this specific thing. And so there's a tangible relationship that's being created between you and that. And so I think so many of us live in our heads so often. And when we're in our heads, <coughs> excuse me, we can think and think and think and think and think and think and think. But to touch something, I think there's a different type of relationship that's formed because we experience it as opposed to think about it. <coughs> Excuse me again. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and for me, there's something about that tactile, you know, I mean, the, the pattern of writing as opposed to typing. I mean, you type on a keyboard, it's the same key. Like, you know, there's no differentiating factor. But when you physically write something out or when you physically, you know, draw something, and that's why I love like guys like Ben Thompson of Stratechery and, and James Clear when he does his stuff. Like there's visual, like he's he's sketched it out. I think there's something to that. Um, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about the idea of taking a break because I think that that helps with with just refreshing and reflecting. Um, Stefan Sagmeister, he's done this great TED Talk. He talks about how every seven years he closes his New York studio for a year-long sabbatical to kind of refresh. I take I followed Sean West, Sean McCabe from the Sean West, uh, you know, kind of that's his company. He takes what he calls small sabbaticals. Uh, I take one every six weeks and I kind of I don't do any coaching calls during that week. I just focus on deeper work. How important do you think that is is into into crafting the story that you really want to have in terms of work and life? Well, I hear two things. And so I want to be cautious about how I address it. Sure. But I, I think. I think it's really easy, especially for us as consumers of content, to go out and to look at the ways that other people have, have 
are modeling their productivity, for example, or modeling their life or the, the tactics that they're choosing mm-hmm. and to look at it like it's a buffet and say, oh, I'll have a little bit of this and I'll have a little bit of this and I'll have a little bit of this. But when you go into the nature of great storytelling, every great story always tells you that you're the star of the show, which means that at a certain point, this whole infrastructure of education, whether it's the church for 2,000 years or whether it's our university systems or whether it's now Google and all the access to information that we get online, everything is about you getting to a position where you and you alone can make the choices that are right for you. So, of course, I think that disconnecting is important. I think it's, it's valuable. Even if you can just take an hour a day to go outside, that's going to be valuable. But the more important and the deeper part of your story is how connected you are to what's happening inside of you, which allows you to then go ahead and set boundaries or set discipline that's based on that. But I don't think you can be hard and fast to say, I'm going to choose this particular system and I'm going to live it that way because mm-hmm. that's bad religion 101. What do you think about that? I mean, that's why I preach personal productivity. I mean, productivity is, is what we've been preaching for a long time. What, what's been, you know, this is what productivity is, but people need to personalize it. They, uh, they can take the elements of other people's systems and learn clearly, but then they can decide, will this fit? Will this fit with my life? Can't, not everybody can take, I mean, I certainly can't close my work for a year. Uh, I, I, I can't do that. Stefan Segmeister can. I, uh, I can, however, emulate what Sean McCabe does because I run my own business and I can take a week off every six weeks. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, again, I, I think that it's, you're right, it's very dangerous to outright model uh, what someone else is doing, especially if you're just starting out. You know, it's kind of like the same principles where people will say, oh, I've got so-and-so is using this app, like let's say Evernote, and they say, hey, you know what? I want to use Evernote because so-and-so uses Evernote and they're super uh, effective and productive with it. And they start using Evernote and they can't figure out why it's not working for them. And the reason is because the approach is far more important than the application, right? And, and so, but you have to have your own, I mean, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. I mean, that's why it's very dangerous, like you said, for, I mean, one of the things I've taken a lot of flack for is the, the and also gotten some praise for, is that I left getting things done, the methodology behind. And it's because not all of it worked for me. Some of it did, some of it, you know, quite a bit of it did not. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm doing this other thing instead. And some people said, well, you were doing it wrong. Well... <laughs> It's personal productivity for a reason, right? It's 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 like somebody saying you're telling this story wrong. I mean, it's it, there are mo- mental models that you could follow, but at some point you have to put yourself in that situation and figure out whether or not it's going to be completely applicable, right? And I think the changing the question is what's important. It's less about asking yourself, "Will this work?" and it's about asking yourself instead, "Is this working?" And I think if you're constantly engaged in asking yourself, is this working, then you're far more likely to figure out whether or not it's working and to make the steps and choices that come out of that rather than conceptualizing, well, maybe this might work. If I implement this, then all my problems are going to be solved. That's why I'm such a big believer in reflection and review, right? You know, and you talked about backcasting. I think it's a perfect because what happens is you get to see where things may have taken you off course. Whereas a lot of people say, well, it didn't work before, but if I use OmniFocus now, it will work. Well, no, because it's like saying, I want to play the guitar. Uh, I've never taken a lesson in my life, but if I buy this, the, the best guitar on the market, I'm going to be a great guitar player. 
Exactly. It's it's like, it, and that's where you get Guitar Hero, and that's where you get yep. million dollar guitars because everyone gets caught up in the fantasy that if only I make some kind of purchase decision, then things will get better. Right. And relating to storytelling in mythology, one of the most famous conceits in mythology is something called the hero's journey. Yes. Have you heard of this before? Yeah. Oh yeah, Joseph Campbell. Yep. Yep. And and so for people who haven't heard about it, it's this model. You can Google it. There's tons of information. I'm sure Michael posts a link. Mm-hmm. But. The, the crux of it is that in order for any insight to happen, there has to be this kind of death. We have to fail and we have to fail big in order to understand something that's really important. And I think of this because there's this famous Spanish guitarist, Julio Iglesias. Mm-hmm. Right? And Julio Iglesias, the story goes, he used to be a great soccer player, a football player in Spain. And one day broke his leg playing soccer. And ended up spending something like eight months in bed rehabilitating this leg. And in the process of rehabilitating the leg, he picked up a guitar and taught himself how to play. And so the path that he was on was the, was the wrong path. Ultimately, he needed to go through this big loss in order to find out what was going to be his calling and get him to happily ever after land. That's really easy for us to look at from when we're on the outside. It makes so much sense. But when we're actually in it and needing to go through that sense of loss and sacrifice and these kind of mini deaths ourselves that's way 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 more difficult because i don't believe that's something that can be hacked mm. i think the wisdom that we get is the process of losing something and and feeling the emotional trauma that comes with that I, i'm not saying go out there and be masochistic by any chance, by any stretch but i am saying that when life gives us these big opportunities when these big kind of shutdown moments that's where the real growth has happened, in my experience. Now, there's an interesting, and I'll find it and put it in the show notes. But there's uh, some people like to use the hero's journey, and they take the, they prescribe it. Of course, you've seen this; it happens everywhere. They prescribe it with, uh, you know, whatever the, the basic version of it. But there's a much more um, fleshed out version of the hero's journey that a lot of people kind of skip over parts of it. Isn't that, isn't that true? Like there's the, the basic that we always hear, you know, here's what the hero's journey is, but there's more to it than that in a lot of ways, right? Well, I think it's more about looking at the hero's journey retrospectively. Mm-hmm. You can't be in the hero's journey at step four and say, okay, well, coming up next is step five. So I'm going to look around and plot my way and prepare for step five. It's more like when you come out the other side and you look back, you'll be able to draw this line through what's happened to you in your life where you'll say, ah, there it is very clearly. Step one, step two, step three, everything makes sense. And when you're able to see that pattern, that's where the magic comes from because you start to say, well, how did that make sense? How is there that similarity? But I don't, I don't think it's something that you can apply forward-looking where you're actively trying to enact the hero's journey. I mean, they had this problem because... The story with the hero's journey was that Joseph Campbell was a good friend of George Lucas. Yes. And so George Lucas, when writing the, the Star Wars films, the kind of original back in the 70s, followed the hero's journey to the T. And he was able to make this incredible film or series of films. But afterwards, Hollywood tried to copy the same mentality. And what ends up happening is they feel formulaic. They feel cliche. They're not engaging because they're just somebody who's doing step one, step two, step three, and not bringing this other essence of story, which is the emotional intimacy, the kind of real authenticity of a human who's writing something as opposed to a computer that's just putting pieces together. I think that that's the piece that's so important is, is like letting your, your individual humanness come through into your story as opposed to picking the right story based on the way you think it's supposed to be. Jordan, I've had a great time chatting with you today. I definitely want to have you back on in the future because there's a lot more stories to tell. 
Yeah, there's never an end to the stories. <laughs> where can people find you online where you can engage them? And, and, and you know, you can, uh, ha- you can tell each other stories. Yeah, I, my website is jordanbauer.com. And my Twitter handle is jordan underscore underscore bauer. And I'm also on Facebook if you just look for Jordan Bauer. And I love helping people and connecting with people around story. My approach is all about authenticity and what I do that's a little bit different than other people is as opposed to me teaching you storytelling, I pull storytelling out of you. Everybody's a storyteller. It's just about developing the confidence and the skills that are going to help us be better storytellers. So I'm much more about pulling the language out as opposed to putting it in. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me this week, Jordan. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks so much for your time. Big thanks to Jordan for joining me this week on the show. You can find all of his stuff in the show notes. And and I had uh, I had a great time meeting him in person at Social Media Camp, and I'm going to have him back on the show very soon. If you are a Patreon supporter, you're going to hear him even sooner because not only do you get additional content, which, by the way, if you're not listening to the Patreon edition of this podcast, you could jump over there and do that now. Uh, but also, I'm going to have a bonus episode with him and I just having conversations, some of the stuff that we didn't get to talk about uh, on this particular episode. So I'm looking forward to delivering that to you. If you're a supporter, if you're not a supporter, you can become one today. Just go to patreon.com slash productivityist. All the details are there. Any amount will help make the show better and better. Another way to make the show better is to offer ratings and reviews. It, the feedback is something that I can use to make the show better. So please leave a rating or review in iTunes or your podcast aggregator of choice. It not only helps me make the show better, but it helps people find the show. And I want as many people listening to this as possible because I want to help as many people as possible. Speaking of help, big thanks to John Polster, my podcast producer, for helping put this show together. And thanks to all of you for joining me this week and helping me deliver the message as a productivityist. Until next time, I am your host, Mike Vardy, reminding you to stop guessing and start going.